listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. almost wore running shoes here this morning because today we are on a marathon. We are going to be covering a lot of materials. Ushers, come down. People, you need your Bibles. You need a Bible. You need notes. You need a pen. There's a lot of important stuff. This is probably uh, one of the more important messages that that, uh, we are going to be covering. I don't know. Each one just keeps getting bigger. I mean, this first John book is like the iceberg. You see it. You think, oh, it's a small little book. But wow, is it amazing for truth and and for, for what's underneath and, and, and as we dig into the word of God and, um, and, and so pens, Bibles, note taking, there's going to be a lot of scripture references on the screen, write them down, study them, read them, look into them this week, be students of the word of God, otherwise you just come in here, you walk in, you walk out, boom, see you next week. No, that's not what we're to be doing, we're to be in the word of God and here are going to be some key things, pens handy, come on, you, pens, hold up your pens. You have pens? Good. Seen lots of pens going up. The rest of you confess. Uh, we'll get you more pens if you don't have. Just um, uh, um, ushers, just make sure. Just make one more walk down the aisle, ushers, with pens, with um, connection cards or Bibles, just because this is really important today. Okay, now I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, ready for this? I'm ready for this. Let's go. So turn to your neighbor and say this. Ready for this? I'm ready for this. Let's go. Okay? All right. Okay. So are you with me? We're going to go. So how many of you, I wonder here this morning, how many of you ever been scammed? How many of you have been conned into into something that you thought was right, something you thought was legit, but it really wasn't? Recently, I received this email from Netflix stating that they were unable to process my last payment and that I would need to log in, give my credit card information once again to them and in, in order to keep my account up and to keep it going. The only problem is my account was working and I realized that I don't pay Netflix directly. It goes through my iTunes account. And all of a sudden I looked, I realized this is a fake. They almost got me. Some scammer trying to get my credit card information and my login information. These kind of scams are all over the place. Have any of you ever had anything like this? I'm sure every one of us, if you haven't, just hold on. It'll happen. These kind of things are taking place. And so we are to be alert. We are to be aware of what's going on. But in a more serious way, there is, and and in a more serious context, we are told in 1 Peter 5.8, write it down. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion, um, seeking someone to devour. The devil and his demons, as we talked about even last week, are real and they're out to deceive, distract, and destroy through disunity, through false teaching, through various ways to try to infiltrate our hearts and to try to steer us away from the one true God and to keep unbelievers from seeing the truth of the gospel. And so John the Apostle wrote 1 John to warn the church then and now. This book completely, totally, this letter applies to us today. And and he's warning about false teaching teachers and teaching along with sharing with us as we've been talking about the last few weeks what does an authentic faith in Jesus Christ look like but there's also the other component here of this book is to warn us and to teach us about the infiltration of false teaching that can come into our lives into our families into our churches into our denominations in all different ways and so today we're going to see how John gives a serious warning also some instructions 
some ways to identify false teachers, but also how to stay strong. He just doesn't leave us like, uh-oh, better watch out. He shows us through the word of God how we can be strong in the word of God and we won't be deceived and we will continue on in the faith, continue on in the truth of God's word. So let's pick things up. First uh, John chapter 2, verse 18. First John Chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. So today we're going to talk about what is last hour living. What does last hour living look like? Twice here in this one verse, we are referenced. He uses the reference, we are in the last hour. This is last hour living. What does this look like today in our lives? What does this mean for us here today? Are you ready for this? Are you ready? ready. Turn to your neighbor, say, I'm ready. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay. Uh, this is exciting. God's word is amazing. It's exciting. It's overpowering. It's, it can at times be confusing, but then we have a helper for that. And we'll get to that. It's so cool. I love it. I love it. I love it. However, there's stern warning here. Last hour living, first of all, I encourage you to write this down. Last hour living means there will be a sense of urgency. Or we need to be living with a sense of urgency. Notice twice here it says last hour. And, and oftentimes it can also be referred to as last hour in scripture or the last days. The time from the uh, resurrection and then the ascension of Jesus Christ until his second coming is referred to as the church age or the last hour or the last days. And you say, well, well we're really not living with all that much urgency because it's been going on for 2,000 years. That's a long hour. I mean, if he's talking, this is the last hour, this last hour is like 2,000 years and it's ticking. It continues to keep going. But when we study the Bible and we see what God wants, we see what God's word says and how we are to live with a sense of expectancy and urgency and preparedness that Christ could and he could appear at any time. This is the glorious hope of the Christian. This is, this is the glorious hope that one day we will be with him, that one day we will be taken from this world. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 18. I encourage you to write down that verse and look it up this week. This is the glorious hope that we are looking forward to. And dear folks, it would seem that in Bible prophecy that this old world, it's getting to the last few minutes of, those, of that last hour. When we look at what's going on, it's tick-tock, tick-tock. Time is getting shorter and shorter here on this earth. Jesus in Matthew 24, verses 25, encourage you to write those down, look that up in his Olivet Discourse. Also write down Luke 21, because there we see Jesus also referring to the last hour. And he mentions there will be wars and rumors of wars, insurrections, instability of nations marked by rebel groups, pestilence, earthquakes, famines. What, what happened in London last night? Another terror attack? We're seeing this coming with more regularity. But you say, but Melden, these things have gone on for centuries. Yes, that's true. They have. But Jesus calls these birth pains. And they're giving birth to something. And what makes this a very unique time in history is, yes, we have wars and rumors of wars and instability and rebel groups like we've never seen, pestilence, lake floods, earthquakes, famines, all of these different things going on. The thing that is marking this is a very special time and very unique time that we have to realize, tick-tock, tick-tock, is that the intensity 
and the regularity that these things are happening with. 18 years ago today, Charlotte and I were celebrating our wedding anniversary. And we were celebrating it with her in the hospital. You see, for, for almost nine months, Charlotte wasn't quite feeling herself. And it was there on our anniversary date that she was in the hospital. Her blood pressure had spiked and the doctor said, this baby has got to come out. And so the doctor started the induction process. And it started out rather slowly, and then it continued to keep building and building. And a few minutes after midnight, after our anniversary was done, just after midnight, on June the 5th, Clarice Ashley was born. Look at that young couple, just young bucks, not knowing what to do with this little bundle of joy. Jesus referred to wars and rumors of wars as birth pains. And what we are seeing in our world today are the contractions that are getting stronger and faster and harder, and then the birth happens, just like a natural birth. That's what ends up happening. Now, for parents and for us as believers, there's something amazing on the other end of those birth pains. New life. You get to hold that little life. On the other side of those birth pains for believers in Christ, so much more than that. It's life everlasting. Crown him Lord of all. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we understand that God wants us to live with a sense of urgency. One eye on the clock, tick tock, tick tock. One eye on the world, what's going on? And looking at, and, and, and if we had a third eye, which we don't, but also looking at our own situations personally and to see where we, we are at. What if it were today? What if Christ returned today? Are you ready for it? What if it was this afternoon? Are you ready to stand before God? How are you using your time, your treasure, your talents? The day is coming. Are you ready? Tick tock, tick talk. It's going to happen. Are you ready to stand before the Lord and give an account for how you lived your life? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's what we were talking about last week. And last, uh, last hour living means living with urgency. Second of all, last hour living means living with spiritual discernment. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, this is picking it up again. Verse 18, we're still there. We're going to work through these verses slowly at first and then quickly. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Last hour living means living with spiritual discernment. The Antichrist will one day be revealed. That's what it means to live with spiritual discernment, knowing that one day that the end is near, but there will also be the Antichrist that will, will come. The Antichrist will one day be revealed. Now, this is the first mention in the Bible, and only John in his writings uses the word Antichrist. But John, as he uses that word exclusively, the concept of Antichrist is seen throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. Get ready to write down some references where you can study this on your own this week. He is referred to in the Old Testament as the man of lawlessness or the beast. We see it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Revelations 13, and then some verses in the Old Testament in Daniel and Zechariah and, and in Matthew. And uh, again, encourage you to write down those references. When it comes to Antichrist, the Bible speaks of a human leader with great intellect, great mesmerizing speaking ability, advanced military and economic expertise, who is satanically energized with signs and wonders and miracles, and the hearts and the minds of people of this world will be turned towards him. He will come to Jerusalem 
enforce his will, exalt himself above all other people and all other gods and become the leader of the world and wreak havoc and slaughter like we've never seen before. Antichrist will rule the world with one world government, one economy, one currency, and people will be given a mark called the mark of the beast. You won't be able to buy or sell anything unless you have the mark. Now we can even see with technology today that this could be a microchip embedded under our skin. 20, 30 years ago, you're like, yeah, right. How would they ever be? Why, why would this ever happen? Why would this ever, could never foresee this kind of technology? But today we see it's very possible. And so when John says Antichrist is coming, he is referring to the future leader. That is the word Antichrist with the uppercase A. Take notice of that. There's the uppercase A there. And we're, we're very aware of that. And, and all through history, we have, I mean, even today, as I do a little searching this week, some think that the Pope is the next Antichrist. Some thought Barack Obama was, think that Donald Trump was uh, or is. Um, Prince William, apparently, is being considered as a possible Antichrist person. We don't know who the person, we don't know if that person is alive today on this earth. It doesn't matter. We do know at some point the Antichrist will be revealed and will turn the hearts of the people towards himself and it will be done through satanic power. That is Antichrist and that's what John is referencing here. Antichrist with an uppercase A. But then he also says there will, so now many Antichrists, lowercase A is how we're going to treat this here today and that's what John is talking about, have come. And so last hour living means living with spiritual discernment that there are many antichrists today. We must be aware there are many antichrists today. Now these antichrists are not wearing red suits and carrying pitchforks and saying, come on and follow me. He's not talking about those who claim to worship Satan. There are people on this earth who do. There are those who are uh, worshipers of Satan. There's the church of Satan. There are those that have given themselves over to satanic worship and, and, and living for Satan. He's not talking about those people. The one thing you can at least, if you can give them credit, at least one thing about Satanists, they give credit for where, at least they're, they're honest on where their allegiances lie. At least, at least they're very clear on who they follow. But you see, the more dangerous antichrists, lowercase a, are the ones who hide behind religious garb. They can stand in pulpits, write books, and teach in seminaries, or even lead a small group. Antichrist is anyone that opposes the biblical Jesus and his message. Antichrist means against Christ. Anyone who opposes the person and the work of Christ or oppose the message of the gospel. That's Antichrist. And so we need to be very aware of this. Even more dangerously, there are many followers of these leaders and teachers who think that they are believing, following the truth, on a path towards finding God, but they are being deceived. For Antichrist, their Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible, though they say that they are following the Jesus of the Bible. It's not the literal, it's not the biblical Jesus that they follow. They undermine and devalue Jesus and the authority of God's word. And as soon as that happens, it's Antichrist. They deny that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. They will say that he is a way. Or perhaps, what, what would you say if someone said, well, Jesus is the best way? What would you say about that person? Antichrist. 
Because they're not, Jesus is exclusively, God's word tells us that, that, in, that salvation is found in no one else. There's no name that we can be saved than Jesus. And Jesus declared himself, I am the way, not our way, the way, the truth, and the life. And even Paul warned in Ephesians 20, he warned the Ephesian elders, uh, again, encourage you to read that this week, that these false teachers would arise from within the church. He said, be careful, false teachers, they will come, they will arise within the church of Jesus Christ. And we are also told in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, it says, For a time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passion. Folks, we are living in the last days. This is happening today. Tick tock, tick tock. We need to be aware of this. Please under, uh, understand. And, and, and this is where we need that smelling salt to wake us up. If you're starting to doze off a little bit or, or just kind of thinking, okay, okay, whatever. The greatest danger of the church of Jesus Christ is not from without, it's from within. And we've got to be so careful of this. And this is last hour living. This is last hour preparedness. And it compels us to be aware of this. Years ago, when I was in college, growing up as a kid in Regina, Saskatchewan, attending a good church, you could basically, I mean, you could trust certain book publishers or denominations or colleges or seminaries. They were good. They were biblically based. They were trusted and true to the word of God. But because of TikTok, TikTok, us moving towards last hour living, we realize we have to be so wise and we have to be so careful. There's a lot of questionable, slippery slope teaching that can be happening today. And that's why we need the word of God to guide us. Not the teachings of others, the, the word of God. This week, I read a statistic that alarmed me that 80% of converts to Mormonism had some sort of start or roots in an evangelical church. 80%. They went to summer camp and got saved. They went to VBS in the summer. They had an experience with God. It, it, it was real, it was powerful, it was emotional, and they were in a church, but then the Mormon missionaries came knocking on the door and said some things and scared them a little or gave them some, some, some neat promises or ideas that, that were based somewhat in Scripture. Clarice just this past week had an encounter with some Mormons, and, 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 and one of the things that she was saying was that, um, and Clarice is our daughter, if, if those of you who don't know, and, um, and, and she was saying that... So much of what they had to say sounded good. It lines up with the word of God. Other stuff, not so good. And some of it just outright weird. And yet we need to learn to discern knowing that false teaching can arise from within. And we have to be so careful. People, please be aware that even it, just because someone comes along and mentions the name of Jesus can even perform miracles and does not necessarily mean that he is for Christ or stands for Christ, believes in Christ himself or herself. Remember in Exodus 7, the magicians and the sorcerers of, of Pharaoh in Egypt, they were able to duplicate some of the miracles that Moses and Aaron were doing under the power of God. They had power, they had wisdom. They had this authority, not from God, but from others. Now, everyone turn to your neighbor and say, tick-tock, wake up. Come on, we got to keep going here. Some of you are dozing. Let's go. 
This is important stuff. You, no falling asleep here. This is really vital truths that we need to be looking at, all right? We have to be so careful. And, um, and this is why it's important that we know the Word of God and the truth of the Word of God, but that we handle the Word of God with truth and love and love and truth. And we examine everything. Acts 17, encourage you to write it down. Um, there, it's talking about the Bereans. The Bereans were known for studying the Word of God. And they were people who, who took the word of God. They heard the message that Paul was preaching. And then they lined it up with scripture. Does this line up with scripture? And Paul welcomed it. And we need to be doing the same today. We need to be very aware of what is being taught. Is it lining up with the truths of the word of God? And in a spirit of, of, of great humility, we are to at times confront wrong teaching. It's not walking around slam dunking, kind of pompous and high and say, you're a false teacher or what you're doing is wrong or this is, this is inaccurate. No, with, with great humility and with great caution, we do that. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, he says, therefore, anyone who thinks that he stands, take heed lest he fall. You may think, oh, I'm good and, and others are struggling. No, we, we have to continue to keep examining our own lives, our own doctrine, what we believe what we're hearing, we've got to examine it in light of God's word. In 1 Timothy 4.16, it says, Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearer. So how do we discern this? How do we identify antichrists? How do we know this? Well, John tells us how we can do this. It's, it's right here in verse 19. I encourage you to write this down. And antichrist will depart from the church physically. There are many antichrists today and we can identify them because they will eventually depart from the church physically. Look at in verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. This isn't a reference to church hopping, which can happen today, or leaving a church to go to another church. There are times and seasons to leave a church, but not, not to leave the church. There are times, as I said, to leave, did you catch that? Times and reasons and seasons to leave a church, but not to leave the church. And some antichrists can be identified because they have walked away from God and from the church completely. Those become a lot more easily identifiable. There are biblical doctrines and reasons at time to leave a church. That is the primary reason why a person should leave a church. If the word of God is not being proclaimed, if the gospel is not being, people are not being called to, to gospel living. And at times, some of the reasons to leave a church can be organizational or relational or missional or, or, or various reasons that, that, that they would leave a church. But it's important that we always are examining, is the word of God being proclaimed? Are disciples being made? You see, are felt needs being preached to just to make people feel good? And you can fill churches easily doing that by tickling ears and, and a few laughs and maybe shorter sermons than what we get here. <laughs> I just, I love the word. 
The amount, the amount of study stuff that, that accumulates over the course of the week, I mean, we could go to 2 o'clock, right, to the afternoon show here. You know, I mean, it's just amazing. And God's word is so amazing. And, and it transforms us and it changes us as we are studying the word of God, as we're applying biblical preaching into our lives. As John was writing this, and he was telling us that, that antichrist, lowercase antichrist, will eventually reveal their true colors because they are known for departing the church physically. And no doubt still in the mind of John the Apostle was another disciple of Jesus, Judas. Judas deceived everyone except God. His life revealed that there was really never truly, he was never truly a follower of, of Jesus. Judas finally separated himself from those who truly love Christ. Antichrist eventually identify themselves by leaving the church. Alistair Begg, he wrote this statement, there are some who share, there are some who share for a while our earthly company, but do not share our heavenly birth. The proof of genuine salvation is a continuous abiding faith. You don't hang around Bible-believing churches and, and Bible-believing gospel-preaching churches very long if you don't have a growing love for the Lord. It'll just get grossly uncomfortable. And sadly, I've seen this happen firsthand. I think when we first moved to a church for our first solo pastorate position, Charlotte and I, we, we had no clue what we were doing. We were excited about the opportunity and the challenge we were terrified. We didn't know what to do. And, 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 and just clearly, I knew I needed to do two things. Pray and preach. Preach and pray. Pray and preach. Preach and pray. Really, from there, didn't know what was going on. And in the course of that first year, our church shrunk. We lost two elders. One of them apparently was kind of one of the big financial givers in the life of the church. He, he ended up quitting church altogether because he just got busy with work and with sports and he also claimed the conviction was getting too much. Another elder admitted to carrying on, in the course of that first year, a homosexual relationship for over 10 years. Serving as an elder of the church, ended up leaving his dear wife and his family, his young family, to pursue his relationships and lifestyle. And he died seven, year, seven years later from bone cancer. Sad. Slowly, by God's grace, though, as we preached and prayed and prayed and preached and didn't know what to do, kept our eyes on the Lord, he grew that church and he did a work in the lives of many. And biblical preaching exposes sin and you have a choice. Today, you'll have a choice. If, if there are areas in your life of sin, any Sunday, anytime you hear biblical preaching, you podcast it and there's many good podcasts to listen to. There's some real bad ones to, that you could also be listening to. Um, be careful in that. Use wise biblical discernment. Ask other people um, for what they think or what they might know about different preachers that are out there. It's all accessible. But we have a choice to either repent or run. And antichrists end up running. They won't repent. They will end up running. And perseverance is the proof of possession of salvation. Over the long haul, perseverance is the proof that salvation has taken place in the life of a person. Those who truly belong to Christ will stay with Christ. They will stay with what Christ deeply values and calls us to be a part of his bride. He he calls us to be part of his bride, the church. And even though church life, church family is hard, there's irritating people, 
There's irritating pastors, perhaps even. But God's people at times can be like sandpaper, right? I mean, just kind of they rub you the wrong way. They rub you to the point of irritation. They keep rubbing you and it drives you crazy and it becomes kind of sore. But you know what that rubbing ends up doing? Smoothing off the edges in you. Allowing you to become more and more like Christ. And, and the sandpaper effect happens in my life so that I would, in a greater way, learn the love and the grace and the truth, but also the boldness that at times is required when we walk with one another. But it smooths out those rough edges. And in Jude chapter 1, it's a, it, we are told in Jude, or verse 1, there's, uh, just, there's only one chapter in Jude. It says that true believers are kept for Christ. Perseverance, authentic faith. John 10, 27 to 29, no one can snatch the child of God from the hand of God. Defection from fellowship and faith gives evidence of a defective faith. The person who Christ has truly called will persevere, will continue on. Struggling, bumbling along at times in seasons or decades in our lives, but we continue on. And here's something else that John tells us about Antichrist. So we know that they will eventually depart from the church physically, but then here's something else that we need to be aware of is that Antichrist depart from the church doctrinally. Some will leave physically, others will stay physically, but will depart doctrinally and remain within the fellowship. And this is where it starts to get dangerous. They can deny or downplay the importance of the person and the work of Christ. They deny or downplay the importance of the authority of Scripture or the sovereignty of God or the holiness of God. And, and we see this here in verses 22 and 23. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father. So if someone says Jesus was only a man, Jesus was not God, he's now denying God the Father. You can't have both. Or, or you need both. You can't have one without the other. To deny the person and the work of Jesus, meaning that salvation is found only through Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ alone, that's denying the work of Christ, the substitutionary atonement of Christ, to say that the cross was, doesn't really matter in the great scheme of things, is to deny the work of Christ. That is a big deal. To reduce Jesus to the status of a mere man, and not fully God and fully human at the same time. That is what we believe that God was fully, that, that Jesus fully God and fully human here on the face of this earth. To deny that, to say that he had some sort of temporary indwelling of divine power. These things strike at the root of Christianity. And here we see in these verses in 22 and 23, if you deny the person and the work of Jesus, you deny God. You, you, you do not know God. John MacArthur said this, any denial of Jesus Christ as revealed in the scripture as God in human flesh, the Lord and Redeemer is characteristic of, anti, of an antichrist. They might accept Jesus as a good teacher or religious leader or an angel from God, a prophet, whatever. Anything other than the fact that Jesus is who he really is constitutes antichrist. And anyone who permanently departs from the fellowship essentially is denying Jesus Christ as Lord and God and Savior. 
So we would see this, JWs and Mormons and Muslims, they're out there. They're the ones who've departed from the true church. It's a cult. It's a different religion. But dangerously, this, this kind of erosion that we're talking about can also and is happening much closer. It's happening within the church of Jesus Christ. At least what we call the church of Jesus Christ. And so John says to deny the son is also to deny the father. It's a package deal. And so today, do you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, as fully God, as fully human that when he was here on this earth? And do you accept his work of what took place on the cross? To be against that is to be antichrist. Some of you will remember in 2003, that's not too far ago, Dan Brown came out with a book called The Da Vinci Code that portrayed a very clever and intriguing storyline but incredibly unbiblical view of Jesus, saying that he was married, he was a feminist, a mortal prophet. These were the things that he was saying, and these truths were kept secret until now. And that the deity of Jesus was actually the invention of Constantine in the fourth century, and not a true biblical historical fact. I don't know if many of you remember that, and it was a Hollywood movie, it was a book, all of these things. But I remember as, as a young pastor or a younger pastor back then being very alarmed and, and, and seeing many in the Christian community speaking out against it and being very concerned, citing this book and its dangers. And, and, and I, I went to the movie and I went there with, with a notebook in hand and a little flashlight. Didn't have phone flashlights back then and with a little flashlight to take notes. And our church, we did a sermon series on it and some small group studies to help people to learn to discern truth from errors and, and truth from false teaching that is out there. And, and yes, it was fiction. And yet uh, what fiction in this kind of thing can do is when it does not uphold biblical values, it starts to erode society. It starts to erode theologically our thinking, especially out people who are without, outside of the church, but it can also infiltrate within the church. And very clearly, this was a very antichrist message. And so it was something that very sincere churches and Christians that these kind of things, even when they come out today, we have to be so concerned about these kind of things. Some said it was an overreaction that the movie would come and go. And it did. It came. It went. Well, currently we're watching history kind of unfold before us uh, here in the Okanagan and seeing Okanagan Lake rise to unprecedented levels, it would seem. I think we're already past the 1948 level, and some of you were around during that time, but weren't aware, perhaps, of what was going on. You were living in other places. And we're watching this take place, and however, let's face it, by, well, now they're saying mid-July, but by August, we should be back to normal. We'll have our beaches back. We'll, um, people will be out boating. They will have cleaned up the lake, and life goes on as normal. And we'll remember the flood of 2017 and say, yeah, that was kind of, you know, too bad. The docks will be repaired. But the erosion that this flood will cause and is causing to our rivers and to our streams and to our lake is irreparable. There will be damage that will take place, or this damage we will live with until the Lord returns and builds a new heaven and a new earth. In the same way, that kind of erosion, even though we'll remember that, it will have made a significant impact on, on the lake and 
for people who have houses or businesses along there. Now to bring it back to books and movies like the Da Vinci Code, I believe can leave irreplaceable damage to society, even the church. Eroding the truth about Jesus, lowering the foundational standards, helping to, for it to, to, to go into decay. And even if it is just in the form of fiction, it still has a work of erosion that it can do and will do. I believe that that sort of a movie, I mean, and not saying the Da Vinci Code was responsible to blame all in all for that, but I believe it was one of the contributing kind of factors to what we continue to see today in society and even within the church. That paved the way, I believe, for another book in 2007 by a Christian author whose parents were missionaries. And that book called The Shack deals with important themes, touching, very important themes of human tragedy and suffering and grace and forgiveness and the love of God and, 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 and that healing is possible and, and how to, to relate to God in The Shack. However, The Shack also has some very dangerous things about it in its portrayal of the Trinity, reducing the holiness and the sovereignty of God down to a very low level or to no level at all. In one part, I read this week from the book, the character portraying Jesus said, I am the best way for any person to relate to Papa, meaning God. I am the best way? No, Jesus said, I am the only way. This is false teaching. This is misrepresenting God. And then there, you, we go on to see that there are, are many other Alarming statements that weren't biblically correct, correct in this. And, and again, it dealt with in a very good way, not a good way, but in a very emotional way, human suffering and the difficulty and the healing that can be found. And we might say, well, it was fiction, it's allegory. But the problem is, if biblical truth is being misrepresented or distorted, then it's a false teaching. Allegory and fiction are good and can help to... to, to Proclaim the message of the gospel, but it's got to be right in, in, in keeping with the word of God and be biblically accurate. And what has ended up being revealed more and more now is uh, that book has become a movie. The author in his more recent book has come out as a total universalist, denying hell, claiming that one day all people from all walks will one day be saved. He dismantles the Christian faith and, and in his book just often appeals to his authority, no authority in scripture, no one else's authority, just his own thoughts. This is dangerous. And people have told me, and I've read the, the stories, I've read the captions, how people have been blessed by things like this and, and, and God has used this in a powerful and emotional way and it drew them close to the Lord. Even some, it, it's brought them to faith in Christ itself, but we must understand, yes, we are emotional people and God made us to be emotional, but we need to balance our emotions with the truth of the word of God. And truth triumphed, has to trump, trump over emotion in these things. We need this balance and, and, and be biblically balanced in these things. And we also have to be thinking of people who don't know Christ. And, and, and for someone who is a believer in Christ, it may have been an encouragement. It may have been this blessing. But, and, and it didn't rock or shake their faith. But I'm wondering, did it erode some of our core beliefs and our values that we hold on to? We have to be so careful. Folks, Paul said in Galatians 1.8, he said, if we or an angel 
from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to the one we preach, let him be accursed. Paul was saying that if you start hearing things coming out of my mouth that, that no longer line up with scripture, no longer line up with the gospel, may I be cursed. And folks, if you're hearing things like there are many ways to God, that's a fa false gospel. If you he are hearing things that people say that there's no literal hell, that's a false gospel. If people say that the sacrifice on Jesus the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was cosmic child abuse. That's a false gospel. If people say that Jesus was not God in the flesh, that's a false gospel. If you hear people say that God's plan for your life is for you to be healthy, wealthy, and everything to run smooth, that's a false gospel. In the end, if you hear people say in the end all will be saved, that's a false gospel. Some say you can do whatever you want as a Christian. It's easier to get forgiveness and permission. That's a false gospel. If people are no longer taking what the Bible calls sin and not classifying it as sin anymore, but saying it's culturally accepted, that's a false gospel. And we have to be so aware of this. And you say, but how do I know then? How do I know this kind of thing? How do we remain secure? What's our protection? How do I know that I'm not slipping into areas of false teaching? How do I have this discernment? John answers this for us. He answers it beautifully. Number three, last hour living means living in the assurance provided in the gospel. Look at in verse 23, the last part. Whoever confesses the son has the father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. True believers abide in the word of God. True believers abide in the word of God. When John says, let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you, he's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the word of God. The simple, pure, life-giving and life-eternity-changing power of the gospel. And listen to this. If you have professed Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, as you, you have professed him as the Son of God, and you've understood the reality that you're a sinner and believe that through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, that he is the only way that we can be forgiven and be made right with God, and he's the only way that we can have a true relationship with God, the only way that we can escape the wrath of God, if you have turned and you've repented of your sin and, and are pursuing a life that glorifies God, not perfectly, but progressively in your life, you have been saved. That is the gospel. And that's not just, there's that legal transaction we've talked about a few weeks ago that ends up taking place, but we're not left alone. The Holy Spirit is deposited in our hearts, in our lives. And Romans 10 verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And as true believers, we abide in this truth. We abide in the gospel. And, and this truth is something that continues to make at, we are at home with in a greater way that we grow in through the years. That's why even on Wednesday nights this summer, two, two nights a month, we are taking time to, to, to look at what does gospel, gospel worship look like. 
What does it mean to, to be a gospel-infused church, to, to have gospel-infused worship? Worship is more than just a song that we sing on Sunday, but it's more than that. It's, it's a lifestyle of worship. It's, it, it's seen everything in the form of our worship of God, and may it transform our minds and our thinking as we grow in these truths this summer. We have something to test all the doctrines and the teachings that we have, and that is the Word of God. The Word of God is our defense. God's word will lead us into truth and away from false teaching. That's why I encourage you, bring your Bibles. Know your Bibles. Get to know your Bibles. You say, but the Bible is a big book. It was written a long time ago. It's not really easy to understand. Well, hold on. This is where it gets good here that we see that we're not alone in this. So true believers abide in the word of God, but true believers are anointed by the Holy Spirit. Verses 27 and 28. It says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointed teacher, you... Um, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. And so when we receive Christ into our lives, the Holy Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit of Jesus comes in and takes up residence in our life. He regenerates our cold and our dead hearts and he gives us a new life. He gives us a new heart. He softens us and he changes us. In Ephesians 1 verse 13, we see that the Holy Spirit is the seal of our salvation. He is the seal of our redemption. It's the Holy Spirit. He's left as a deposit, he comes into our life. The spirit of Jesus comes into us. And in John 16, 13 says that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. Don't be deceived. If you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your teacher, your counselor, your guide. He illuminates our minds, helps our understanding, quickens our thinking, makes our senses that much more sure. This is the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And when it comes in, in power with the word of God, there's power, there's life change, there's wisdom, there's illumination. Now when John says here, he says, you have no need that anyone should teach you. The Bible consistently advocates that we need teachers and we need teaching in our life. But what he was claiming here and what he was talking about were the false teachers who were saying, hey, we have hidden knowledge that you have to come to us for. Come on over here and we'll share with you some of our, our great knowledge. This is what the Gnostics were teaching this, this, this new revelation, this deeper knowledge. And he says, you don't need that. You have the word and you have the Holy Spirit. The teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit does not involve new revelations or, or new truths that we see in other religions. Mormons and JWs, they, they have their, their little help there in these different things of new revelations and new truths. But we also have to be careful that can even be infiltrated in evangelical churches of new revelations and new truths. Don't be discouraged if you think, but I don't know very much about the word of God. That's why it's important to, to get studying the word of God. Have you picked up that God time book that we have available for you to, to help you grow in, in, in your time daily in the word of God? It's available. It's free. It should be on the info desk. If not, make sure it's there, that, that, that we have it there and, and love to get that. that. That's the starting point for you to be able to, to learn the word of God. But we have the best teacher. We have the Holy Spirit. If Christ is in you, you have the Holy Spirit and he will quicken your mind and give you instruction into the word of God. It's good and it's important to have training. We need to have biblical preaching in your lives. And yes, 
It's important, though, that we persevere with discipline in the word of God. It's why it's so important that we teach God's word. And we are trying to grow the body of Christ here by growing disciples who can stand strong in the word as we face the world around us. And John reminds us that, that we have a twofold arsenal to be able to withstand antichrists, the liars and the deceivers that are, are there, and they can't withstand this. We have the word of God and we have the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our life. I asked, uh, asked for some epoxy, if anyone had epoxy, and thankfully I got uh, two versions of epoxy. Now, um, I've used this before, and I guess this is some pretty intense epoxy. And, and in and of itself, this little, these little tubes are the big tube. If you just have one of these and you try to glue something with just one of these, it's useless. It won't do anything. You put the two together, and you've got strength. Tim was telling me that this one is like rock, like solid, like this, anything. I mean, this is the stuff. You take... And, and they've even made it nice here, so it's an even flow of epoxy that flows here. You get both of these, and kaboom! They, there's strength, there's stability, there's stick to that happens when you have epoxy like this. Folks, we have the Word of God, and we have the Holy Spirit of God. And together, the two of those, rock-solid truth that we can build our lives on, that the Holy Spirit illuminates our mind and our understanding and teaches us to be able to understand truth from air and be able to apply God's word with the power of the Holy Spirit to live God's word in our lives. You say, but Melvin, I'm not sure about this. I, I believe I'm saved. What, what you said about the gospel there, yes, I've, I've received Christ in that way. But it seems like I'm not getting through. It seems I open the word and it doesn't make sense. Or I don't have a real hunger for the word. Or it just kind of seems like I think I'm saved. I believe I am. But, but when it comes to the word of God, it just, there's a lot, it just doesn't seem to make sense. And, and I have a hard time. I'm struggling here. And, and it seems that when I hear this teaching, it sounds good. And then I found out, oh, it's not good. And, 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 and you know, someone warns me about it. And, and, and how do we learn? How do we grow in this? 1 Thessalonians 5 and Ephesians 4 talk about quenching the Holy Spirit and grieving the Holy Spirit. When we quench or grieve the Holy Spirit, this is oftentimes is a result of unconfessed sin in our lives. Areas that we are living in in, 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 in sin or disobedience or ignoring or disobeying what God's Spirit is telling us to do. God is speaking to us about something that we need to, to follow through in and we're not doing it and, and that's disobedience and, and we don't lose the Holy Spirit, we silence him. The Holy Spirit's power is silenced in our lives. He's not able to speak. He's not able to, to illuminate our minds when it comes to understanding Scripture in the, in the way that is possible when we're not quenching or not grieving the Holy Spirit. And so we need to be asking God to search our hearts, to confess any known sin, and obey where we know that he's calling us to obey. And where he's calling you to obey is going to be different than how he's calling someone else to obey the word of God. It's going to be true to the word of God. He's not going to change or alter it. There's going to be certain truths. I remember one time dealing with an area of disobedience in, in my college years. And one of my excuses for putting it off and not dealing with it is like, well, I, I did that with other people and, and they're pastors and they're not dealing with it. And no, the Holy Spirit was convicting me personally in that area and I needed to make that right. And I needed to deal with that. And I believe that 
as we don't grieve and, and don't quench the Holy Spirit, God's word tells us that it comes alive in our hearts and our lives. There's power and strength and understanding like we can know no other way. So what do we do with these truths here today? What, last hour living means living with a sense of urgency, living with spiritual discernment. It means living in the assurance provided in the gospel that we would be people of the word and people of the anointed ones, the ones who have been anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Put that together and there's strength, there's power. So what do we do? Start some, some kind of a hit truth squad and go and confront people and, 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 and pound out the false teaching in and, and, and the lives of people around us? No, 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 no. We drop to our knees in humility and with tears over the state of the world, over the church, over false teaching and how it's infiltrated people's lives and perhaps even our own lives. And, and we ask the Holy Spirit to, to do a work in our hearts and convict and, and, and to speak to us about areas where perhaps we have strayed away from the word of God. It's so easy to see the stuff in other people's lives, but have we turned to our lives over and say, what area am I not conforming to the word of God? What way am I, what ways might I be disobeying God's word in my life? We start with looking inwardly and we look upwardly to God and say, oh, search me, oh God, try me and know my heart, try me and know my thoughts, see if there's any wicked way, make those areas right before God. And it starts with this careful self-examination. Another thing we have to ask ourselves, am I trusting the thoughts, the writings of an author or a pastor or a blogger more than what God's word has to say? God's given us many gifts in the kingdom, but there's also, th their authority is not like the word of God. Remember years ago, we had a young guy in our church come to us and he was greatly concerned. He was stepping into some areas of leadership, but then he says, I don't know if I can continue on because doctrinally I believe differently in, in, in a particular area than what you believe and what the church believes, Meldon. And, and so he, he, I said, well, tell me about it. He started telling me about it. And he said, my pastor said this and, and I experienced this and my, my uh, Bible school uh, professor told me this. And, and I said, so biblically, where does this go? How, biblically, how does this line up? What does God's word have to say? And he said, well, my pastor told me this, and my Bible school teacher told me this, and this other youth pastor told me this. I'm like, no, what does God's word have to say? And I said, why don't you go for the next two weeks and just study the word of God? No books except a concordance, a Bible dictionary, some helps in that way. Don't even use commentaries. You have the Holy Spirit in you, and the Holy Spirit will guide you to truth. He sanctifies us through the truth of the word, word of God. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. A few days later, his wife came to me and said, what did you say to my husband? He, like every night after work, he has his Bible out and these uh, dictionaries and concordances and, and it did, back then he didn't have the internet. And, 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 and so, you know, he, he had as many different uh, versions or perversions of the Bible that, that are out there and he's studying all of this and she's, he's just studying the word. Two weeks later, he came to me and he said, you know what? He said, the Holy Spirit showed me from the word of God that I was listening to the teaching and to the thoughts of, of these others and I wasn't listening to the teaching of the word of God that the Holy Spirit enlightened me in. I didn't have to teach him any. The Holy Spirit's way better. He's a way better preacher and teacher than anyone here on this earth. He's there. He's available to us. But if we quench or we grieve him, we silence him. May he be loud 
in our hearts and our lives this week as we are people who confess, people who repent of those areas of sin. We, we, we don't want to grieve. We don't want to quench the Holy Spirit through our disobedience, through, through our own areas and, and, and qu quickly look at the lives of others and see their faults and see their wrong teaching and we need to look, how am I doing in these areas? Let's pray together. Wonder today where you are at as we're sitting here this morning. Even now, maybe there's some areas where you're sitting here, but maybe you have a departing heart. You're not so sure about this whole thing. Can I encourage you to take the word of God? Take the book of John, like what we're reading in our encouraged reading um, Bible reading plan this month. Take the book of John and read one chapter a day. And before you read that, say, oh, Holy Spirit, speak to me through your word. By the time you get to the end of that chapter, I believe the Holy Spirit will do an amazing work in your life. Maybe there's areas you've become cold or callous towards the word of God. You're veering in one area or another and you need to bring yourself back into alignment. The Lord loves you. He's not angry at you. He's concerned. He welcomes you back. He, he'll, he'll forgive you. Are there areas where we're quenching or grieving the Holy Spirit? Let's examine our hearts. Let's confess. Let's make those right. Let's, let's obey in those areas where we need to obey. Are you caring about the things that God cares for or you're just caring for yourself. Father, this is a tough word, but tough and strong words can build strong people, strong lives. Weak words can build weak people, weak churches. And we desire, God, that we would be people of the word first and foremost, that, we would, that, that my dear friends here today would even take these verses that we looked at here today and study it. Allow your Holy Spirit to work in their lives. For each one of us, may we be drawn closer to you this week. May we not quench the Holy Spirit, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. In those places where the Holy Spirit has been silenced in our lives, I pray that they would be replaced with your precious blood of forgiveness, your precious mercy and your grace and forgiveness, and that your Holy Spirit would reign supreme. We would be filled with your power, your strength, we would be spirit-filled, abiding in the word, men and women here today, living for your glory, not our own. It might mean difficult choices and decisions that may have to be made, some that may assault our pride or our money or whatever it might be, or even our future. But God, you are a good father who loves us, who cares for us, who desires us to walk in truth and to live in that truth in a mighty and a powerful way. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together as we worship and as we re are reminded of these truths we've been listening to this morning.